are listening to the You Are Lawyer podcast. I am the podcast host, Kyla Denanio, a 2015 law school graduate. This podcast was created to share the experiences and successes of law school graduates who created their own paths to career success. In episode nine, I am speaking with a published author, founder of a nonprofit organization, and solo practitioner. Having done all of this before the age of 26, this guest wrote the book, Dear Future Lawyer, creator of the mentorship program, Step 123, and based in Birmingham, Alabama, today's guest is Nina Spear. Welcome to the podcast, Nina. Yes, thank you for having me, Kyla. This is really exciting. So would you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? So I am born and raised in Birmingham, Alabama. Most people know me as a very vibrant social butterfly. I always love working with the kids. I do a lot of stuff in my community. But more than that, I wanted to be a lawyer since I was in eighth grade. Funny enough, it was lawyer or WNBA basketball player. <laughs> Clearly, that one didn't work out. But uh, <laughs> law came to fruition because when I was in the car with my mom, riding school in eighth grade, saw kids across the street from my middle school being bused a uh, lower paid school system. And I didn't understand because I was like, well, mom, they're right across the street from our school and our school has better funding. Why can't they just come here? And she explained to me that the lines were drawn a certain way. And so they had to go there because they were on this side of the line. And when I was hmm. in eighth grade, I couldn't verbalize it. I just knew I didn't like that rule. Yeah. And ever since then, I have been focused on not liking that rule as a theme or a thematic constant throughout my life. And by the time I got to Howard University and started doing like poetry ciphers, little known facts, like most people <laughs> I actually verbalized in a poem how I felt about that. And that's what helped me understand is that I wanted to break the rules. I wanted to be the person who advocated against senseless rules or people being left out because I felt left out at one point in my life because I was mixed because I was not the skinniest girl in the book, or because I honestly don't know everything. Contrary to how I act, I don't know everything. <laughs> and I think feeling left out is a horrible feeling, and I didn't want people to do that because of some rule that I could basically speak up about. So that's yeah. what led me here. Okay. So that want to advocate, or at least to clear up injustices that you see, is that what prompted you to start your nonprofit? This is my other fun story because I was a very different child. When I was eight years old, um, <laughs> I started coming up with youth development strategies and presenting it to my director and be like, hey, we could do this for the kids. We could do this for the kids. And they were always like, shoo, shoo. Okay, Nina, that's nice. Okay, go, go run your bake sale. That's fine. You can be a little <laughs> entrepreneur. But I built on that. And by the time I got to my second year of law school, I had made the contacts and the connections necessary. And I met a bunch of different people looking for mentorship at this conference. And I said, you know what? I can do this. So I got my colleague from law school. I got another advisor from law school. I got my mom. I got my best friend. And I got a bunch of other people together. And I said, let's start a nonprofit. Let's do it. Do you believe in continuous mentorship? I believe in continuous mentorship. Let's do it. I ended up with a nonprofit so that I could find my mentee that I made a promise to, to be her mentor for life because the mentoring program I was a part of actually lost track of her. 
and I don't like breaking my promises. Yeah. So I actually was devoted to finding wherever this kid had gone while I was in law school so I could be her mentor again. And the reunion was so beautiful that it just solidified everything about running my own nonprofit and being someone who's a continuous force in the kids' lives. Wow. And you did that while in law school. That's awesome. Yes. I was uh, very scared. And um, (laughs) a lot of the people who had their own mentoring program in law school kind of made me feel like, oh, maybe no one's going to join my thing. But within our first year, like we were able to get about 10 solid mentors and then take the kids on field trips to like see hidden figures with NASA, things like that things that I've always wanted to be able to do for kids, but I've always been restricted because of red tape, because a Mm -hmm. lot of nonprofits, when you go to serve them, they have their own agendas and their own initiatives. And I don't believe in not being able to use creativity from your team. So if you don't use my creativity, then there's so many things that I can't do for the kids that I would love to do for them. So I said, you know, I don't like red tape and I don't like being told no. So The way you do that, a lot of people, is they start their own business. Which is easy to say, but it's amazing that you went on and did that. So is the nonprofit based solely in Alabama, or are you nationwide now? We actually have a virtual component. So we have main base in Birmingham, and then we have some base in Tuscaloosa. We have people who are from Texas at Wiley College. We have people that are in Florida. And we have people from D.C. and I have some new mentors from California. So people are able to participate in it virtually. And the way that I do that is I created like a lesson plan of following up and getting to know you. Kind of like when I was a summer camp counselor, they gave us all of these things you could do with your kids, workbooks. Mm -hmm. We give anybody who's a mentor, mentee or whatever, a workbook to work on stuff with them and come up with ideas of how to connect, bond, and forge a relationship that inspires them. So it can be anywhere. I mean, we do it worldwide. One of my directors or one of my board of directors is in Japan. So it's not something that's restrictive. You can create your own step one, two, three chapter in your community anytime you want, and just let us know and involve us in the process. And we would love to make it formal. Yeah. So other than you just wanting to keep your word to your mentee, Why do you think that it's important that grade school students have mentors? There is a ton of research out there about continuity in people's lives. And when you have continuity in your life, one, you have a higher track record of success. Two, you have a lot of people put it on their resume, do it for a couple years, and then that person that you lead ends up lost because Here it is, they met this amazing person who had all of this impact and advice, and then they're just gone when people aren't saying, hey, good job, Kyler, hey, good job, Nina. So I said, you know, I think we need more continuity in our lives. We need people who are going to stay there and keep staying there for years and years to come. So that's why I think it's important is that a lot of us don't have that continuity in our lives with anyone. Everybody is fluid. Everybody's expendable. I can block you in two seconds on my phone. Like it is so easy to disconnect nowadays. And I believe that the value of connection is staying continuous. Yeah. So of course your law degree is prevalent in the fact that you opened a law firm in April, 2018, and you also published a book. Your book is titled Dear Future Lawyer, an intimate survival guide for the minority female student. Why did you focus on that specific audience? So that's my favorite question. 
but I did it because there's not very many books out there for female minority students, period. Mm-hmm. And I mean that to say is there's a lot of lawyer, you're going to be a lawyer, future lawyer, that type of stuff, but they don't focus on a demographic. They always are very general. So they're including everybody. And I'm not knocking everybody. I think my book can be read by a white woman, white man, anybody who's trying to experience law school and they can learn a great deal about how the law school experience will feel. You might not feel the exact same things, but you might actually understand your minority colleague for the first time ever if you read the book. But I think that nobody really gets a chance to explain how they really feel when they're a minority female in law school. They feel a very different experience than a minority male. Yeah. And I can only talk from that perspective. I can't talk from a perspective of everybody. And I get really frustrated when people get into that, well, everybody deserves a guide. I understand that. You can make a guide for everybody. (laughs) But for this time, this one moment in time, I wanted to take the time to focus on the minority female law student. And a lot of people, and I even, have asked myself, well, why didn't I call it the Black Lady Law Student Guide? But I realized if I did that, then I would be shirking a part of myself, which is I'm half Indian and I'm half Black. And so I didn't want to take black and just throw it in the center and just throw away my Indian side. So I use minority to be as inclusive as possible of people who are diverse, people who add something to the equation that nobody's ever seen before, but people who are female and minority. You have to take people's experience in a multitude or an aggregate. Otherwise, you'll just miss out on being able to understand anyone because that's all we do as lawyers. We meet new people all the time and we're trying to understand them. We're trying to figure out how we can best help them and fill their needs. Is that something that you specifically learned in law school? How to be inclusive and advocate for others and try to express their needs? That's a good yes and no question. It's almost a it depends. Okay. Um, I think that law school's goal is to teach you how to be that, but that they don't have the tools necessary for students actually implemented in a lot of majority law schools. Now, in HBCU law schools, like the one you went to, it might have been a very different experience. But when I went to a PWI law school, there weren't a lot of things put in place or programs put in place where you were taught how to be the compassionate lawyer Mm -hmm. or how to be this. It was all about the elite people coming to the school, coming to speak to the school about something that they wrote or a publication that they have or the fact that they're, you know, tenured somewhere. I learned it because I had to learn how to do that for people in law school, but I didn't learn it in law school. I don't think law school teaches a whole inclusive concept, teaches you to say whatever you want to say, forget whoever feels anything in class. I think law school teaches you to analyze things with logic rather than a mixture of logic and compassion. And I think that's what law school does. It teaches you to analyze the logic more than it actually teaches you to understand the people. You mentioned that you wrote the book for people who didn't know anyone before they went to law school and they wanted to be prepared. Mm -hmm. How does your book specifically address that? So my book takes you through, first, the different people you'll meet in law school, or as I like to call them, the characters. 
And then it also takes you through the different periods of your first year of law school, second year of law school, third year of law school. The first year of law school is probably the most scary. So I went through all of the different mindsets and thoughts that are going to go through your head and how to assure yourself of those each and every time you get there. Because you will go through that whole emotional cycle multiple times over. The second chapter goes into what the rat race is for your 2L year. So what type of things and items you need that you've never seen before, what the different feelings are once you get there, what implicit bias looks like there, what it feels like to be excluded, and then how to get rid of this whole I hate law school mindset because there are some people, they get to law school and they keep going because they need to finish, but they actually hate it. They do not like it there. And I had a lot of classmates along the way that I know had left. So I give people the option. I was like, look, if you don't like it, if all this advice I've given you has made it so that you might not really care about finishing, it's okay. Yeah. And I don't think many people tell you that. They always tell, well, don't give up on what you started. If you are unhappy, this is not the time to keep pushing yourself into unhappiness because you feel frustrated a lot with not understanding something, not getting something, or just trying to make yourself seem very smart and intelligent when you know it's a whole bunch of stuff that's going to change by the time you graduate and you're going to be the dumb one in the pond again. <laughs> And then third year, it's all about finding your passion, the reason why you serve. I don't think very many people talk to you about finding your purpose, finding your why, and getting to that before you reach the finish line and how powerful that can be. And it's really important because a lot of times the reason why you went to law school does not end up being the reason why you graduate. The type of law you were interested in has completely changed or you, you know what I mean? You had an internship and you were like, forget that. I want to do something else. That's important. It really is. And alongside all of those chapters, I placed in it a couple of journal pages under each chapter for you to write your own story in the lines and the margins of the book. And then I end it with a graduate chapter and a bar exam diary about things you need to do to prepare, ways to get yourself in that mindset and shift. So the book takes you through a full experience of law school, but it takes you through it from a perspective of you will see this happen. These things do occur, but how you choose to look at it is going to color your entire experience. And that's what this book is really meant to do. It's supposed to show someone who's reading it that they're not alone, that those feelings that they feel are very normal and they're not crazy. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with them. They're not failing. They're not falling short because that's what you hear all of the time in law school is that you're constantly falling short or you're not meeting the expectation of. Yeah. So, Did you journal when you were in law school? So I actually had to write something when I was mm -hmm. in my one year because I almost flunked out of school and I didn't know how to like deal with it emotionally. Yeah. So I decided to write some type of upbeat third person observation piece. And this book was actually started from that chapter. All it was ever supposed to be was Dear Future 1L. And then I sent it to some colleagues and one of my advisors, and they all kept emailing me back and they were like, Nina, this is really good. Like, really good. So I was like, well, I guess if it's so good, I'll start, <laughs> you know, doing this each year. I think that I wanted to write more. 
that I even ended up publishing. Yeah. And I think the reason why I didn't put it all in there is because there is so much left in my journey that I know that a second or third or fourth book will be happening at one point. So I didn't want to put all of it in one book because there's different books for different processes. And this yeah. is what you need to start step one. Um, I think I'd be surprised if you didn't have more books coming out. I mean, you told us that you did poetry ciphers in undergrad, and then you journaled, and now you wrote a book. So it sounds like you've always been preparing for this. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. At the end of each chapter, you have a gut check for readers. Was this included so that you can make sure they're being honest about their experience? It was, but it was more the hope that they write their own stories. If I could encourage you to start writing out some of your story right now, you can use it to tell your story some way, some shape, some form later on. Maybe you create a checklist. Maybe you create a guide. Maybe you create something. But the book journal pages are more of a reach back because you're writing a journal to somebody from a book that's entitled Dear Future Lawyer. Mm -hmm. So it's supposed to encourage you to reach back and think about somebody else who's going to come in your shoes and read these same words that you're writing now. Yeah. So it's supposed to be a think piece that gets you there without actually formally saying like, this is your book, but I want you to write your own book. I don't want you to stop with my book and be like, okay, well, this is all the experience I ever need to know. You have so many people, you know, minority women that have amazing stories to tell there's a book called presumed incompetent that i read in law school that just tells the stories of all of these women being presumed incompetent by people who didn't think that they were very smart but all of these women have very unique stories and when you read about multiple different women in the minority field you become encouraged because you don't see those stories very often yeah so i was always scared to write this though you know when you read all these books when you're in school you expect to see some type of ho 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 really like professional person and I'm just raw and real I mean on the back of my cover it says law school is hella and I use H-E-L-L-A <laughs> difficult I got a chance to be me and um, yeah I don't think very many people just write from that perspective probably because they want to look very learned I personally care more about being real than being learned. <laughs> so, Well, that's amazing that law school hasn't beaten that out of you. Because a lot of people, they'll start a project and they will never finish it because they can't get it to be perfect. Because a lot of times law school teaches us to be perfect. Amen. That's, so. that's a whole testimony. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be another episode. Yes. <laughs> so Nina, one of your hashtags that you use is hashtag the last brand, L-A-S-T, last brand. Would you describe a little bit about that? So the last brand actually came to me in a dream. I kid you not. I was like <laughs> sleep in my, in my sleep and I was like, my best thinking happens at night. So I'm pretty sure I was half sleep, half awake. But I was like lawyer, author, speaker. And at that time it was teacher. So ah. teacher didn't fit in my profile, like character things on Instagram. So I was like, <laughs> well, what else could it be? And I was like, lawyer, author, speaker. And I was like, truth. That's it. Someone who speaks the truth. So I'm a lawyer, I'm an author, I'm a speaker, and I give truth. I'm always hmm. telling the truth. So that became my brand. You can redefine last place. You can redefine your failure. You yeah. can redefine being last 
in everything because you are somebody who lasts throughout your life and yeah I wanted to change that mindset of last last place you know last thought of last heard of and make it you're someone who lasts you're someone who keeps keeps going despite the fact that you were last despite the fact that you did fail and overcoming that so that was my redefining of the word last <laughs> the fact that you were able to do that redefine the word last is incredible so Listeners, in this episode, Nina asked me a couple of questions and I want to play those responses. So you mentioned that failure is not something people often want to discuss. Since becoming an attorney, your brand has been focused on transparency and willingness to broadcast failure proudly and unashamedly. How am I trying to do that in my life? The podcast is one of the ways that I've been vulnerable and transparent. I took and did not pass the Louisiana and the Ohio bar exam and law school definitely didn't prepare me for the feelings of grief that I would feel after that. When I took the bar exam, I realized that passing has nothing to do with intelligence as much as what you put into it on that specific week. (laughs) You know, you could be prepped. And if you took it the month before, you may pass. If you took it the month after, you may pass. But how you perform when you are in the room on those days really determines whether or not you pass. And I had not realized that. So it really crushed me when I didn't pass the exam. I was like, I don't understand. I went to law school. I did everything right. I studied. What happened? I had a panic attack before I took the Ohio bar. And when I took the Louisiana bar, I didn't pack enough food. (laughs) And I remember distinctly being like, can we take a break? Are we done? Are we? And I'm like, just typing, typing, like, just, just keep moving. Just don't pass out. Just keep moving. So there are a number of things I would have done differently. But yeah, the podcast is definitely how I am trying to broadcast any failures that I have proudly and unashamedly. Your other question was, who was my first supporter of the podcast? Hmm. Honestly, my first supporter would be my therapist. Really? Yeah. I, when I took the Louisiana bar, I don't remember if they would give you your results. Like you could pay to get your responses, but in Ohio you could. And I remember I paid to get my responses because I missed the exam by like four points. And I was just crushed. I was like, I don't even know Ohio law. I studied this on my own. Like, give me some extra points because I paid a thousand dollars to take it. You got to grade it again. I was like, come on. What do you, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. And it took me a year to even look at what I had written on paper. I was like, I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. If it's not going to give me the four points, I don't care. And she's like, you have to look at it. You paid to look at them. You have to look at it. I was like, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Finally, I looked at them and I'm like, who else is going through this? Who else could benefit from this? I need to talk to them about it. It's been over three years that I wanted to do it, but I was just terrified. Like, I don't want to tell my own story. I'll talk to other people all day, but I don't want to talk about what happened to me. Um, And she was like, even if you put it out there and it's just like an audio diary for you, it will help. And I can honestly say recording my initial episode was harder than anything else. I've had 10, I think you were the 11th interview that I've had with someone and recording my own episode and editing it was by far the hardest. It always is. Yeah, it is. So. That's inspiring, Kyla. I really... I like the fact that you had multiple bars because most people don't even think about it. Like I had a close friend or a couple of friends who went to other states to try to pass their bars and they still didn't pass. Mm-hmm. And like talking about that experience is one of those things that I want people to do more of yeah. instead of what I've been hearing, which is a, I passed it on the first try trope of people. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with passing it on the first try. I would have loved to pass it on the first try, but I think there's something to be gained by knowing you didn't pass it on the first try and you kept going because yeah. a lot of people who pass it on the first try 
they wouldn't have kept going if they got the rejection. But that's not the dream. That's not the investment. That's not why you spent all that time doing what you're doing. And there's so many other factors and you brought it up that you could take the test tomorrow, you'd be good. But the week or two weeks from now, when a whole pandemic happened, you might not be as good to take this exam. Mm-hmm. So like incorporating other other variables besides you just didn't try enough is a very good narrative. So I'm really proud of you. Thank you. Your third question here was when you hit a wall, how do you regroup? And I regrouped by forgiving myself for being a human and having weaknesses. It almost makes me want to laugh to say it out loud, but I don't know when it kind of caught up to me, but in law school, you just are like, yo, you can't tell me anything because I'm in law school. Like I'm in law school and killing it. So I graduate, I got two days to celebrate and then I'm studying to the bar. So I never really got a chance to let it sink in. Wow. You just graduated from law school. That's an accomplishment on its own. So from graduation to bar prep to finding out I hadn't passed. I was completely in shock. I mean, you could have told me my name wasn't Kyla and I would have believed you more. There's no way. I just, I was like in shock, like my score, me, how could I have not? I'm, you told me if I did this, I would pass. So for me, I had to regroup after hitting the wall when I just was like, Kyla, you are a person. You have failed at something and you are still a person. <laughs> like Amen. the sun still rises tomorrow and you happen to fail the bar exam. That is okay, but it took me, it took me two years to get there. And for those that don't know, when you miss the bar exam by four points or 10 points, you don't get to go back and retest on that subject. You have to take the entire exam over again. And you may not even see that subject on the next test you see. So <laughs> yeah, it's a whole process to itself. Oh, so would you know what? I think the defining moment, and I think this is really important for your listeners who do have to retake the reason why I think that I passed the bar was I got to this mindset because the first time I took it I was like please dear baby Jesus let me pass let me pass let me pass and then I was doing my walk and my exercising and things that I was doing to take care of my mind during the second bar exam preparation and I got to a point where I said God you know what even if you want me to go back down there and take it again after this exam I'll do it Hmm. and that mind shift changed everything because I was so focused on getting the highest score so I could pass in all the jurisdictions and I changed to I'll I'll take it again and not only will I take it again I will take the exact score I need to pass I don't need a point over just give me the pass score (laughs) If, if it's in your will I'll take that I don't need anything and not only did he listen but that is what happened. That's literally what happened in my exams. I got the exact score I needed to pass. That's awesome. And I ended up not having to go back down there. But the willingness to go back down there is, I think that's the biggest part. Yeah. That you're not willing to give up on your dream. And that's what will end up leading you there. Absolutely. I think the first time you take the bar exam, there's the hope that you pass. But there's also the expectancy that, wow, I've been preparing for three years. I can do this. And I think that gets you through a lot of the tough days, but then you do need a different motivation when you take it a second time or even a third. So thank you so much, Nina. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. Enjoy the rest of your day. You too, girl. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to You Are a Lawyer. Subscribe to the show wherever you find your favorite podcast, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. 
New episodes are released every other Thursday. Leave a comment on our Instagram or Twitter pages. You can find those details in the show description. Feel free to contact me at Kyla at youarealawyer.com. Have a great day. Thank you.